that celebrates 17 new lives for Christ in Babylon. We love it. We've planted a church in Babylon. And what I love about the is that they are on mission. You see, their church, our church, every church is to make and grow followers of Jesus. So welcome to the hills, all of you in person in North Richmond Hills at West Fort Worth and at Keller, all of you watching online. We believe making and growing followers of Jesus is the mission that he himself gave the church. It's the mission of every church, or at least it ought to be. And every church should have a strategy for pursuing that mission. But some churches mistake a slogan for a strategy. It looks great on the website, but no one knows what to do with it. Here's the difference between a slogan and a strategy. You can measure a strategy. Now, that's what we mean here at the Hills when we use the word vision. We're talking about a concrete, quantifiable way as a church that we are pursuing the mission of making and growing followers of Jesus. So we have a five-year vision at our church that we launched in January that we call Asking for Nations and Generations. We have a website, and you can go every week and check for updates and pray with us as we ask God. And so last week, we talked about asking for nations. I don't usually do this. But you should go and listen to that message. In fact, you should go and watch the entire service as we worship in different languages, as we want to be a church that asks for nations. What I want to do today is recast our vision for how our church can impact generations. Because we understand every generation needs guidance if they want to reach the place they want to go. I was reminded of this recently. It's the football season. We've all seen teams run out of the field, run through a banner. Well, someone thought for their little football players, it'd be a great idea to tell them to do the same thing. This is how it turned out. And so... We believe we need to ask for the next generation. In fact, isn't it interesting? The God of the Scripture, who identifies himself as Yahweh, often introduces himself and describes himself to people as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God refers to himself as a generational God. A God with a redemptive plan that spans generations. So if he's a generational God, it makes sense our faith should be a generational faith. And that means every generation is going to receive from generations in the past. We're going to imply that wisdom in the present, and we're going to instill that wisdom and that faith for future generations. Here's how the psalmist puts it. Things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He's done. We're going to receive it from the past. We're going to apply it in the present. We're going to instill it in the future. Psalm 145 says pretty much the same thing. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. Let each generation Tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. And so, I think what the Scriptures constantly challenge us to do is to be a church 
where every generation cares about every generation. I can't find any justification in Scripture for any believer to reach a place where they say, I have no more obligation to the next generation. I have done my part. Every generation cares about every generation. Now, we see this clearly in the written word. I would argue that we see it just as clearly in the word become flesh. We read the Gospels and we see Jesus spent a lot of time in the company of children. In fact, whenever Jesus needed a child to make a point or illustration, there was always one around he could grab and put in his lap. Look, for example, at Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. So evidently, the disciples are thinking, well, these kids uh, don't bring any value to the mission, so they're wasting Jesus' time. And Jesus got upset. And by the way, you know what someone really cares about by what makes them mad. And it made Jesus mad to think that the next generation wasn't worth our time and attention. He gave the next generation three gifts every generation needs. They need time. They need touch. And they need prayer. And why do you think Jesus cared so much about children? Well, obviously, he's God, and God loves everyone. But I would also suggest He was God become flesh. He was a man. And Jesus knew how hard it could be to be a child from personal experience. Have you ever reflected on what Jesus knew about being a kid because he was a kid? Jesus was a poor child. When his parents gave the dedication uh, of him at the temple, they brought the offering the law prescribed for the very poorest people. Jesus, as a child, grew up poor. He grew up with an adoptive father, and in his particular circumstance, it came with a lot of scandal and insinuation. Probably for most of his teen life and early adulthood, he grew up in a home with a single mother, which made the poverty even harder. And don't forget this, as a young boy, Jesus was an immigrant child. He was a refugee child. Jesus knew from personal experience how hard this world can be on a kid. And so, there's no other faith like this that has the very God who made everything that is and holds it all together being a kid and being a teenager. And it should fill us with a sense of wonder, but it should also fill us with a sense of responsibility. 
What is our obligation to the next generation? And so what I want to do is just review the ways as a church we're asking God to use us to have generational impact. I'm going to share our seven big goals with you. Here's the first. To launch and lead Celebrate Recovery and a freedom ministry for the redemption of broken generations. Celebrate Recovery was started at Saddleback Church in California. It's now a global Christ-centered organization dedicated to helping people escape bondage. So we launched in the summer of 2021, and this last year, we got officially licensed and affiliated so that if you go to a website looking for Celebrate Recovery, you will know that the hills is a place you can go. Now, we know, yes, we know that the bondage of a previous generation can have a powerful impact on the present generation. We also know there is power in the gospel to break bondage and give a generation a new future, right? And so every Thursday night, over a hundred people meet seeking that new future for them and the next generation. They worship together and then they break into their different kinds of groups to talk about how to deal with things like body image issues, uh, sexual abuse, alcoholism, drug addiction. We even have a group that meets to deal with the trauma incurred from serving our country in armed conflict. And we have 20 to 40 volunteers that meet every Thursday night. They show up to cook, to teach, to guide, and to pray. And we celebrate that this past year we saw eight individuals surrender to Christ and be baptized through Celebrate Recovery. If you want to know more about CR, we have people at the Welcome Centers at all three of our campuses today, and I would encourage you to get your questions answered. But here's what we know. Freedom is a beautiful thing to give to the next generation. Our second big goal is to raise up 25 new foster families and train 100 members to serve foster families. This may be the boldest of all 14 of our goals. But we know that God has a heart for the fatherless and the familyless. And so right now in Tarrant County, where all of our campuses exist, there are over 800 kids in the foster system. 110 are currently in need of placement. 60. Four are staying in emergency shelters. We know how God feels about this. And so we're asking God to use us to give some of these kids a chance for a better tomorrow. And so when we announced this vision, we had five families rise up to go through the process of being licensed and approved to foster. And we've already had three families receive placements, including one just a few days ago. Here's our first family, Ryan and Corey Uran, their son Lincoln. And they've got a precious little boy that they are currently fostering. And they will tell you, it has been wonderful. And it has been challenging. Foster children come having been uh, through much trauma. 
You got issues with biological parents. You got issues with the court system. You got issues with ever changing case workers. It is a challenge. And they will tell you they couldn't have done it with all, all the help of the friends and support they got from the Hills Church. Now that's where some of you come in. Our goal isn't just to raise up 25 families, but to raise up 100 people that will support foster families. And we want to help you do that. Can you cook? Mow a yard? Clean a house? Go buy groceries? We can show you ways that you can bless foster families. This is what some of you community groups can do. It's what some of you who are in empty nest can do. Also, we're going to expect to receive more children coming from traumatic backgrounds in our church. So we're training all of our student and kid ministry leaders in trauma-informed care. You want to know more? Yeah, that's worth celebrating too. You want to know more about fostering? We're going to have a fair on October 16th at all of our campuses to help you with your questions. This is a huge go. I don't know that there's any of our goals closer to the heart of God. Goal number three. We want to mobilize 2,000 members a year to serve in ministry to kids and students in our church and community. This vision is calling on every member of our church to be intentional at least once a year in giving time and touch and prayer to the next generation. Now, obviously, we have so many ways in our next-gen ministry, students and children, for you to do that. And through August, we have counted 1,178 unique individuals that have served children at our church. Can we thank God for them, please? Thank you. And here's what we know. Many of you are blessing children through partner organizations of the hills, like Teen Life, like uh, Upwards, like Christ Haven for Children, like Academy 4, or like Our Father's Children. You see, some of you served in that ministry, and last year they took 300 children in the foster system to camps and to retreats. So I praise God just as much for all of you. Here's the thing. It's been harder to identify who you are. So I'm going to give you permission to do something right now. Get your phone out. If you're in any of those groups, if you have served any of those ministries, we've got a QR code up here for you. We'd just like to know who you are. It'll take you just a few seconds to fill this out. Take a picture. We're also going to push it through uh, our different uh, apps and platforms, social media. We would just like to know the ways that you're serving the next generation because we believe there's a place for every one of us. Here's the thing. Jesus said, whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. Let that sink in. We want you to join the army of people in our church that are welcoming Jesus. Goal number four. We want to launch a ministry residency program that trains at least 10 people for future service in the church. I have a heart for raising up the next generation of ministers. Academies and seminaries have their place. But the best environment to prepare for ministry to the church is in the church. And so we have this idea for residents that will come and they'll stay with us 9 to 12 months. Uh, 
they'll work 25 hours a week, and they'll get hands-on training in church ministry. Our first two residents right here from our church are Charity Young and Parisa Satsaz. Charity is working with Women's Ministry and Celebrate Recovery. Parisa is working with uh, Celebrate Recovery and Women's Ministry. Parisa came to Christ here a few years ago and now wants to dedicate her life to service to the church. It's a beautiful thing. Their training is not just practical, but theological. So they meet with Manuel de Oliveira, missionary in residence, and they do actual hardcore theological training in the Word. Because we don't want just to find the next generation of ministers. We want to raise the next generation of ministers. We want to see young people growing up in our church and God plant in them the passion to serve the church in full-time ministry and to believe their church is the place where I can get trained to pursue that call. Goal number five. We want to guide 3,000 people to connect to God, church, and their purpose through Rooted, a small group discipleship experience. Rooted is designed to engage participants in the disciplines that form people into the image of Christ. It's not just a small group. It is an experience where together with other people, you do the disciplines that form people. Prayer, confession, service. It demands a high investment. We won't let you be in a rooted group if you're not going to commit to be there. But that high investment produces a higher commitment to the way of Jesus. It's the best experience I've ever had in a group. And to date, we've had 293 alumni of Rooted. We've got 200 people currently in groups uh, at all of our campuses. And let me tell you, church, if in five years we get 3,000 people to go through Rooted, we will be a changed church. Goal number six, we want to strengthen marriages by developing relationship champions to impact and encourage 250 couples because the research is indisputable. Nothing blesses children more than having parents who have a strong marriage. And so we've raised up relationship champions in our church. These are people deeply committed to Christ, deeply committed to each other. They've been married now for some time. They've got a track record in marriage faithfulness. And we've got them with licensed therapists, and we've put them through a program so that they can pour into the next generation of marriages. So in the first eight months, 45 couples uh, have been paired with champions. And then in September, 38 more couples have been paired. So we've got... Uh, so far, I think it's 83 young couples. Like, example, yesterday, we had our nearly wed seminar. So all these young couples are about to get married. So each couple who came is paired with a relationship champion who are going to walk with them in the first year of their marriage, coaching and praying. Think what a blessing that's going to be. You got people like Charlie and Terry Taylor and so many others who've just accepted the call to pour into the next generation of marriages. Because isn't it true, some of you have parents or grandparents, and they've been married 30, 40, 50 years, and they still love Jesus, and they love each other. Isn't it true that a marriage like that just keeps on giving? And then, goal number seven. We want to create an intergenerational mentoring experience for men and women on every campus 
with the goal of maturing 300 kingdom influencers. We don't believe leaders are found. We believe leaders are formed. So we want to form the next generation of leaders in our church through proximity with current leaders in our church. The men are using a strategy called radical mentoring. At every campus, we've paired up younger men with men who were elders or former elders. And they do a nine-month program that involves a lot of reading. They go on retreats. It's high intensity, and it is forming these guys into great kingdom influencers. The women are using a strategy called gathered groups. We have a lot of gathered groups at every campus. And specifically, the lady that leads the group is apprenticing and mentoring another younger woman to be a leader herself. And so in the first year, 70 younger leaders were mentored and more are on that pipeline for this year. Again, what are we talking about? We're talking about being strategic and intentional about receiving from the previous generation, applying wisdom in the current generation, and instilling faith in a future generation. Because the Scripture challenges every generation to care about every generation. Now, of all places, I thought of this reading Newsweek magazine a few months ago. And they had an article about Caspian terms. These are birds that live in the Baltic Sea area, and they migrate every year to Africa, and they wanted to study uh, what's the social connection among the community as they fly. And here's what they learned. The young birds fly coached by their fathers. In fact, if the young bird gets separated from the father, they don't make it. The father protects and guides. What happens if the father dies? A foster father steps in to coach the young bird, to help it get where it needs to go. Now with that, I want to talk for a moment about something that we're all concerned about. We're all aware of the studies showing the rising numbers of young people walking away from faith. We're talking about young people who came to churches who were in the programs and who now identify themselves as none, having no faith. They were given a long list of things they ought to do and things they ought not to do, and they were told to come up to the church and we got a party and you can hang out. And what we're seeing is that platitudes and pizza are not keeping the next generation loyal to Jesus. We are going to have to take seriously the spiritual formation of kids and students. And we're going to have to think strategically about how that's going to happen. Not just wish it would happen. It's one reason why we hired Jill Shelby last year in a new position called our Next Gen Minister. And Jill is coordinating our student ministries and our children's ministries. Jill is not just an educator, but as a missionary in the field, she is an experienced disciple maker. And her passion is faith formation in the next generation. It always has been here. But in the times that we live in now, we've got to put everything on the table and ask ourselves, 
What must we do that we haven't been doing to help this next generation stay with Jesus? And so recently, our student leaders and our, ministry, our kids' ministers, they got together and shared with us some of the fruit of what they're talking about. And I was thrilled. You're going to see more emphasis in student and children's ministry on teaching young people to listen to and be guided by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Young people have got to know you can have a dynamic relationship with the living God. We're going to see more emphasis on practicing disciplines that form young people. Prayer, Bible study, silence, confession. And you're going to see more emphasis on engaging the next generation in the mission of the church now. You're going to see more young people engaged in, involved in ministries now. The days are gone when it's the job of the church to say to young people, hey, come up here and let us serve you. It is a day to say to young people, Jesus has a great mission and we need you to serve it. Because if they're not engaged in the mission when they're at church as young people, what makes us think they're going to engage in it when they grow up and leave? And one more thing. We're going to be much more committed to equipping parents in the future. Because you are the ultimate disciple makers of the next generation. One thing that we've just recently done is launch in September a podcast called Next Gen Now. Every parent and grandparent needs to listen to this. It comes out every Monday. This last Monday, Jill interviewed Allie Lowry, a missionary that we support in Greece. What she said about blessing her children, every parent needs to hear. I send it to my children. Ways that we want to bless you as you bless the next generation. Again, Psalm 78. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. Now watch this next line. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Faith is not inherited. It can be modeled. But each generation has to set its hope anew on God. And if the next generation is going to hope, this generation is going to have to help. It starts at home, but it does not end there. I really believe it takes a church to raise a child. It takes you. There's a place for you in this vision. I love this picture. These men work in student ministry. They lead student groups on Wednesday night. Here's what's neat. Jim and Brad have been doing this a long time. Jim was the student group leader for Dylan. And now Dylan and Jim are leading students. Cade and Kale were in Brad's sixth grade discipleship group. And now Cade and Brad are leading sixth graders and Kale's working with juniors. It's the generation pouring into the generation who's now pouring into the next generation. 
I'm reminded of Psalm 148. Young men and young women, old men and children, let them all praise the name of the Lord. So next week, I'm starting a new series based on Hebrews 11. I'm calling it a faith worth remembering. And as you read these stories, it's interesting that the writer says they were commended for their faith, that his intent is that generations after they live, the stories of their faith are inspiring those who came after them. That means a lot to me, especially today. You notice I'm wearing a pink shirt? There's a reason. I'm about to be a grandfather. So uh, my daughter Morgan, if it doesn't happen earlier, will go to the hospital tomorrow and they'll begin the process of inducing. And probably on Tuesday, I will get to hold Sadie James Hamilton. And I am pumped. (laughs) And here's what we all know. My granddaughter is going to be born into a different world than I was born in. And many of the institutions that my parents counted on to support the values they wanted me to have will be apathetic or even hostile to those values for her. She's going to need my voice. She's going to need my stories. But she's going to need your voice too. It takes a church to raise a child. And so we ask.